Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. The title for today's sermon is, Can You Hear Me Now? It's the story of a man who first was unable to speak, then he was enabled to speak, and then he was unable not to speak. And so I'm going to ask you one more time if you would stand with me as we read the text. We do so out of reverence for the Word of God, understanding that it is from Him. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 reads like this. It says, Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to Him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged Him to lay His hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd, privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that in the quietness of this moment that you would open our ears to hear what it is that you would have to say to us today. Um, As we've already acknowledged, we come from a variety of circumstances, a variety of challenges and triumphs, hardships, as well as good things. But God, wherever, from wherever it is that we come today, we need to hear your voice. And so would you speak to us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So again, we have the story here of a man who at first was unable to speak. He was then enabled to speak, and then he was unable not to speak. So let's look at the first of these. Unable to speak, beginning with verse 31, where it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now, you remember from last week, Jesus traveled with his disciples. They'd been on some journeys. They started in Capernaum. They traveled the 30 miles or so from Capernaum to Tyre. Um, He was moving deeper and deeper into pagan Gentile territory, in part to get away from all that constant conflict he had with the Jewish religious authorities. But while he was in Tyre, he ran into a Gentile Syrophoenician woman who smashed through all of the man-made barriers of the day when she fell at the feet of the male Jewish rabbi Jesus. She broke all the rules and she cried out on behalf of her demonized daughter. And as we saw last week, the woman was a model for us. We have things to learn from her how we are to approach Jesus in prayer. First of all, we're to pray with humility. Next, we are to pray with perseverance. And then lastly, we are to pray with boldness. In today's text, (coughs) Jesus travels 
20 miles or so northeast to the city of Sidon, and then the bigger part of the journey, 120 miles southeast to the region known as the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is simply a group of 10 cities that were Gentile and influenced heavily by Greeks. I don't know who Jesus's travel agent is, but this doesn't seem to be very good planning. This would be like, hey, let's go to Grand Rapids via Traverse City. And of course, that would be kind of silly. We might ask the question, it's like, well, why did Jesus take the long way? Why did he take the scenic route? And I think there's at least two reasons. First, it provided more time to rest. You say, well, wait, how is traveling 120 miles by foot restful? Well, they were out of the cities, out of the press of the people. They were enjoying creation, and they were enjoying fellowship. And so um, the long journey, while physically demanding, would have provided them more time to rest, but also it provided for Jesus more time to teach. The journey itself was a classroom for him and for his disciples. And away from that press of the crowds and away from interruptions, Jesus could invest very directly in his disciples. Now, listen carefully, because I think there's an important lesson for us here today. And the lesson is this, don't despise the long way. Don't despise the long way. I know we're always eager to get to the destination. We're always eager to arrive. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But Jesus might just take us on the scenic route, on the long way Amen. for our own good, to give us perhaps more time to rest, um, and also to give him more time to teach. You know, his ways are higher than our ways, the scriptures tell us. We don't always understand why Jesus does what he does, but his ways just might include taking us on the long way, the long journey, the scenic route for our good. I don't know how that hits somebody today, but somebody here today is impatient. You're tired of the journey and you're saying, God, when are we going to get there? And Jesus says, be patient. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. Now, Jesus has been to the Decapolis before. Do you remember when? It was back in, it was in bondage to a legion of, right? Do you remember him? He was the, the guy who was in bondage to a legion of demons, and Jesus drove out the demons into a herd of pigs. And you may remember how the story ended in verse 17, where it said this, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now, why would anyone do this? Why would anyone beg Jesus to go away and then send him away? Well, because two things. The presence of Jesus brings disruption, doesn't it? If you are really serious about walking with Jesus, he is going to disrupt your life. It's not just going to be smooth sailing. It's not going to be business as usual. Jesus is going to bring disruption to your life for your good and for his glory. And so be prepared. If you want to go the Jesus path, which I trust that you all will, it's going to bring disruption. And secondly, the lordship of Jesus requires submission. The lordship of Jesus requires submission. Those are two things that the crowd of the Decapolis in that region, they had no interest in. They didn't want the disruption that the presence of Jesus brings, and they didn't want to practice the submission that the lordship of Jesus brings. And so what did Jesus do? He honored their request, and he left. But now he's back. And I don't know about you, but this brings me great encouragement. You say, well, why is that encouraging? Well, it demonstrates the fact that Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't give up on us. In fact, he continually pursues us. 
You may have heard of an old poem by a man named Francis Thompson back in 1890. The title of the poem was The Hound of Heaven. Maybe you have a hound. What are hounds gifted at? What are they known for? For howling? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But there's even something better, which is they are uniquely gifted at following a scent and pursuing ruthlessly that scent and tracking down an individual. Maybe you remember like The Fugitive, that movie, you know, where they're trying to find this guy on the run and they release the hounds and the hounds go to track him down. That's like Jesus. We can run from Jesus, but you can't hide from him. And thankfully, even when we do run from Jesus, he continues to pursue us ruthlessly as the hound of heaven. So that's what he's doing here in the Decapolis. It's like, hey, you asked me to leave before, and I did, but I'm back because I love you, because I want what is best for you. Pursuing lost sinners as the hound of heaven. Verse 32, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So think with me now what it must have been like in that day to be deaf and with a speech impediment. It's not a a good condition in any time, in any culture, but particularly at that time, in that culture, it was especially devastating. Why? Well, because, you know, there were no treatments or cures. They had no such things as hearing aids or speech therapy. And so because these people were not able to communicate with others, they were often avoided and ostracized. And even beyond that, there was the belief by some that, hey, if you're in this condition, what did you do to God that he would strike you with this terrible malady? And so it was even believed that you must be this way because you're a really bad person. But fortunately for this guy, he had some friends, friends who brought him to Jesus. Be that kind of friend. Be that kind of friend. And because of that, his life would never be the same. And so that brings us to the end of this first part of the text, the man who is unable to speak. But then, number two, he is miraculously enabled to speak, beginning in verse 33. In verse 33, it's going to look like a, going to look like a rainbow of all different colors, and here's why. Every one of these phrases is significant. Every one of these phrases matters. I'll show you why in just a moment. Verse 33, And taking him aside from the crowd privately... He put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed. So there's so much packed into this verse and a half. What we have here is Jesus implementing his own form of sign language. All right, how many of you know official sign language? You know how to speak with your hands and communicate with others? Some of you know a little bit. Um, What we mean here is that Jesus uses sign language in which he visually communicates with this deaf man. It wouldn't do any good for Jesus to walk up and talk to him. The guy can't hear. But Jesus communicates with him visually by the things that he does. And he does five things. First, we see Jesus taking him aside from the crowd privately. Now, what exactly did that visual act communicate to the deaf man? Well, I think it communicated his worth his value in the eyes of Jesus. Remember, this man was living in a world where he was continually ignored and overlooked and neglected. It was as if he didn't matter. Whereas Jesus comes and gives him his personal, undivided attention. 
What a gift he gives us. Jesus speaks sign language by simply doing the visual thing of taking him aside and giving him that attention. Next, Jesus speaks visual sign language by putting his fingers into his ears. Putting his fingers into his ears. Well, what did that communicate to the deaf man? Well, it tells him, hey, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to do something crazy that's going to blow your mind. I'm going to address your issue of hearing. But that would not be all because then it says of Jesus, after spitting, touched his tongue. How many of your moms said spitting is a bad thing, right? One of the reasons I love baseball, spitting's okay in baseball, all right? But my mom didn't like spitting. Not very sanitary, it's not good manners, and now here we have Jesus spitting as a means of telling the man visually he was going to heal his speech. And in that culture, very different than ours, in that culture, it was widely believed that spit had healing qualities, So we view it kind of as a yucky, negative thing. They're like, hey, spit's cool. But either way. So Jesus continues to speak visually to the man using his own form of sign language with him. His next means of doing so was Jesus looked up to heaven. Jesus looked up to heaven. What what did that communicate to the man? The power to perform this healing comes from God. The power to perform this healing comes from God. And then finally, Jesus does one more visual act to communicate with the man. It says, he sighed. He sighed. And this sigh or groan communicated empathy to the man. Jesus says to the man, I feel your pain. I see your plight. I'm willing to enter into your suffering. I care. When we put all this together, I believe there's an important principle for us, and that is this. Jesus takes the initiative to meet us exactly where we are. Jesus takes the initiative to meet us exactly where we are. Of course, this is most dramatically demonstrated in what we call the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, the fact that Jesus came to earth as a human, as a real baby. He came to us in the flesh just like we are so that he could be the perfect substitute for our sins, but he took the initiative to come to where we are, to speak our language, to be like us. And he does it here for the deaf man, communicating with him visually using his own crude form of sign language. On to the second half of verse 34. And Jesus said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Now don't miss the extent of just how crazy this miracle is. Um, It's one thing to heal the man's ears. That's cool. That's great. And it's certainly great to release his tongue so that he could speak. But this man has been unable to speak for many, many years, probably decades. And so the extent of the miracle here is revealed by the fact that without any kind of learning, without any kind of speech therapy, this man now speaks plainly. What a miracle! An even greater miracle, showing how Jesus goes above and beyond, not just healing the ears, not just enabling him to speak, but he brings him to a point without learning and without speech therapy, he's able to speak plainly. And so we see here in the passage, again, the man unable to speak, now he's enabled to speak, and then finally the third part, now he's unable not to speak, beginning with verse 36. 
says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Which seems crazy unfair to this guy, right? Uh, he hasn't been able to speak for who knows how long. Now he can speak, and Jesus says, don't speak. Or at least don't tell what has happened to you, as incredible as it was. Now, why would Jesus tell him this seemingly unfair thing? Why would Jesus say, hey, don't tell anybody about it? Well, as we've seen before, Jesus didn't want to be known solely as a physical healer. Amen. He wanted to be known first and foremost as the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who comes not just to heal bodies, but to heal souls. His mission was much bigger and much greater than just healing of bodies. And likely the testimony of this crowd, if they were to go out and tell what Jesus did, as they did, um, Jesus' primary mission would be compromised. It would be sabotaged because now there's going to be this renewed press of the crowds who are going to be demanding, first and foremost, physical healing. Amen. Well, the concluding words of the crowd are significant in verse 37. It says, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And I love this. We've seen this in other places in the scripture, but this pagan Gentile audience who doesn't really know scripture, they're quoting scripture here. They just don't even realize it. And what they're doing is they're making the claim that Jesus fulfilled the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 35.5. This is what it says there. Isaiah the prophet wrote, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So this is exactly what Jesus does in this passage. He fulfills the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 35.5 and exactly as the crowds said that he did. And so the crowds unknowingly, unwittingly, they connect the dots of prophecy and fulfillment. So we have here the story of a man unable to speak. He's then enabled to speak, and then he was unable not to speak. Let's shift to application and ask the question, how should we then live? What does this have to do with us? That's a wonderful story. It's heartwarming. I'm glad for the guy. What does this have to do with us? Three things we need to ask ourselves this morning. The first thing is this. Number one, ask Jesus to open your ears. Ask Jesus to open your ears. Because I believe that to one degree or another, we all suffer from spiritual deafness. We don't hear God as clearly, as completely as we could or as we should. And Satan loves this. I mean, if he can keep us from hearing God's voice, mission accomplished. He'll do everything he can to prevent us from listening to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, whether that's listening to other things and other voices, whether it's busyness, whether it's neglect, whether it's putting other things ahead of what matters most. Satan will do everything he can to hinder our ability to hear God's voice. But the good news is we know God is infinitely greater than Satan, and he stands by ready and willing to open our ears if we would but ask him. And I think he wants to be asked. I think the asking demonstrates a, a desire, a willingness on our part to be fully present and to give him the undivided attention that he deserves. He wants to be asked. I love that verse in James. You have not because you ask not. 
And I wonder how many times that's true in our lives where we don't receive all that God intends for us because we haven't asked him. So I think the place to begin this morning, ask Jesus to open your ears. Now the testimony of Isaiah the prophet, again, was this, Isaiah 50 verse 4. He said, morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear. I pray that that will be your testimony, not just Isaiah's testimony. That'll be your testimony. You can say, oh God, I, I'm hearing so clearly. I'm hearing his voice. This Holy Spirit is speaking to me and he's directing me and I'm following through in faith and obedience where he leads and oh, the blessing, the fulfillment of the fruitfulness that is new in my life and fresh because I hear God's voice and I am following his lead. Would you ask God this morning to open your ears? Next, number two. Ask Jesus to loosen your tongue. Ask Jesus to loosen your tongue, specifically that we might proclaim with power God's majesty and our testimony. God's majesty and our testimony. Far too many of us are tongue-tied, like the man in the text. But just like the man, Jesus is able, by the power of his Spirit, to loosen our tongues and make us powerful evangelists. Did you see that army that was standing up here a few minutes ago getting ready to go back to school? Can you imagine what God desires to do through that army as they go to their campuses, as they go to their classrooms, as they go to their offices? But Satan's going to get, he's going to do everything he can to get us to buy into the lie that our tongues are tied. We can't say anything. And he'll get us to fear that we'll say the wrong thing. I know that's where many of you are. It's like, oh man, I would, I'd be much more bold in sharing my faith, but I don't know what to say, or I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. And let me just say this. I believe God would far, far more... Uh, well, I'm tripping over my... I'm tongue-tied. Um, I believe God would have a greater desire that you speak up and say the wrong thing than that you keep your mouth shut and say nothing. All right, does that make sense? He is far more honored when you speak up and say the wrong thing than when out of fear and timidity you keep your mouth shut and say nothing. Look what Jesus did for the man back in verse 35. I hope this is an encouragement to you. It says, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now this is where it gets cool. That word plainly comes from the Greek orthos, which literally means right or straight. Now, what English word do we get from the Greek orthos? Orthopedic. Anybody been to an orthopedic doctor lately? What was the purpose of that? It most likely it had something to do with making your bones straight, your body right. Similarly, when Jesus loosens our tongues for testimony, he will make our words right. He will make our words straight. He will give us what to say, much as Jesus promised his disciples in Mark 13, 11, where it says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning, whether you are a school person, a work person, a home person, a retired person, whatever your setting of mission is, would you ask God to loosen your tongue that you might proclaim his majesty and your testimony? Finally, number three, would you ask Jesus to teach you sign language? 
Would you ask Jesus to teach you sign language? And I don't mean like the official sign language that you go to school and learn the official words of sign language. But as we noted earlier, Jesus took the initiative to meet us where we are. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to sign language. Jesus has set for us an example to follow, to meet people where they are and speak their language where they are. And one of the most powerful ways that we can speak with people, that we can connect with them where they are, was the last thing that we saw Jesus do with this man. Do you remember what it was? He sighed. He sighed, which means that he grieved with the man. He entered into the man's pain, into his suffering. He, he demonstrated for the man not only sympathy. Sympathy is like, oh, that's too bad. But empathy, which is, no, I'm right here with you. God has called us to enter into the pain and suffering of those around us, which is a, a very key component to speaking their language. And as we do so, as we do what Jesus did, as we sigh and groan with them, we will look to heaven, as Jesus did, for the help for that person, for that situation that only God can bring. But it all begins with asking Jesus to teach us sign language, to teach us how to communicate with a world that doesn't speak our language. So, ask Jesus to open your ears, ask Jesus to loosen your tongue, and ask Jesus to teach you sign language. I want to close this morning by sharing some lyrics from an old Charles Wesley hymn. Many of you are familiar with it. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, because there are some verses in it that beautifully express some of these principles that we've discussed today, even sounding in the form of a prayer. It says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Hear Him, ye deaf, His praise, ye dumb your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come and leap, ye lame for joy. That sounds like it came right out of that Isaiah passage, doesn't it? And then lastly, my gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, um, we need your help is a daunting thing to consider loosening our tongues to proclaim the majesty of God, the truth of His Word. But God, You have called us to big things. And I pray that You would help us in, in fulfilling and that stories when You have called us to big stories that are fruitful and fulfilling and that make a kingdom difference. But God, in order to live out those stories, in order to fulfill our purpose for which you have called us, we're going to need you to open our ears. We're going to need you to loosen our tongues. And we're going to need you to teach us sign language. So God, I pray for every single person in this church today, man, woman, child. God, would you mobilize us this fall as we move into a new season for the mission to which you have called us and make us effective by the power of your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.